HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. You may have noticed that one Whole Foods Market store is not like the other. We're proud that each of our stores has its own quirks, a direct connection to the surrounding community, and buys and sells their own products. Whether it's artisanal chocolates exclusive to Bowery, small batch pickles in Chelsea, or a featured craft beer on tap at West 97th, you'll find that each store is a little bit different than the next. With six Manhattan locations, Whole Foods Market offers a taste of every neighborhood. Come see us in Tribeca, Bowery, Union Square, Chelsea, Columbus Circle, or the Upper West Side. Open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. For more information, visit www.wholefoodsmarket.com. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good-looking for television. And now, here they are, the Nichols and May of the now generation, your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. All right, we're back. Part two. Part two of our show on Ghostwriters. Asking the musical question, is it <laughs> highfalutin literary action or just highfalutin prostitutin? And, uh, <laughs> Either way is okay. That's right. And uh, I'm Mike Edison, and I'm here with the woman who lights up my life, Judy McGuire. Hello. So, uh, Judy, what a lot of people don't know, people know about uh, your fabulous book, How Not to Date. Um, they love that not, book. Love that book. Um, and they don't know, however, that you've been a ghostwriter yourself, that you were the uh, mystery pen behind a Hardy Boys novel. Yes, it was It was uh, probably one of the most disheartening experiences <laughs> of my writing career, and that includes writing porn. It was Porn was much more fun. It was so exacting. It was down to character counts on lines, um, at lines on page. Uh, they were very politically correct. I named a character Hal Pena, which they didn't go for. <laughs> I had a Howard Stern character who got electrocuted by neo-Nazis. Um, it was called Shock Jock. And yeah, it was, Did it they was, work for the New York Times? <laughs> <laughs> 
they were young thugs, so the Hardy Boys could solve, okay. solve a crime with their peers. I should probably introduce our highly Jewish guests today. <laughs> I'm the uh, token goy here. Are, um, uh, we have Valerie Frankel right here, who is a best-selling novelist and award-winning journalist. Um, she is absolutely too legit to quit, even though she's mostly associated these days with ghostwriting the new book by Snooky of the Jersey Shore. What, the, what was that book called again? A Sure Thing. A Sure Thing. And I understand there's going to be a sequel. <laughs> Um, I would tell you, but I'd have to give you 80 shots of tequila first. (laughs) (laughs) And also with us today is my old pal, Keith Elliott uh, Greenberg. He's the author of the New York Times bestselling, or co-author, I should say, bestselling book, um, To Be the Man with Ric Flair. Um, greatest WWE. professional wrestler ever lived, actually. Yeah, the greatest professional wrestler. And yet, I've never heard of him. Ever <laughs> lived. Um, it's it's no lie. And um, here we are once again on part two of our ghost writing show. So the Hardy Boys books. I mean, if anybody has seen the spec sheets for Harlequin romances right. or Nancy Drew books, mm-hmm. I mean, this is sort of an angle on ghost writing. People forget that. Well, can- Mike, didn't you have a lustrous, uh, lucrative career writing <laughs> under the name Anonymous? I, I did. Those 20s? books were too sleazy even for a pseudonym. In fact, I think Valerie. <laughs> may be the only person that never uh, swam in that sewer. I, it, no, totally wrong. incorrect. Uh, you, incorrect. Wrote, you wrote pornography? I wrote oh. porn for you, Mike. Oh, oh you did, How about you? that? Back Look at that. Oh, I wait. wrote some letters for Climax Magazine. Awesome. That's right. That's, that's how we get started. Also employed business. me with the, with the um, triple-coated uh, wipe-off centerfold. I believe that was their stick. <laughs> I used to spread it around when I could. That was... <laughs> It's true. I mean, who hasn't written pornography? I mean, people forget in the history of ghostwriting, William Faulkner was probably the greatest. And you know what I remember when I was writing for Cherry Magazine? People would say, I remember when Mario Puzo was working. (laughs) (laughs) When I was doing the wrestling magazine, I think there were 14 people on the masthead, and I was 11 of them. (laughs) You know, and everyone was a different voice. I mean, um... Uh, Elizabeth Morton when I needed a woman's voice Art Burns was my old school you know whiskey crusted cigar smoking post Jimmy Breslin reporter Um, but that's not really what ghostwriting is about using pseudonyms ghostwriting is something else um, and it takes various forms Uh, people don't even realize like like Mozart Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a famous ghostwriter wrote a lot of stuff that later went under the names of various royalty Um, in music it's very common people finishing scores you know and soundtracks Mm -hmm. for TV and movies a lot of ghostwriting going on out there Um, and now uh, I know well I mean even legitimate writers like James Patterson for example oh, right I mean he has he written his own novel in 10 years who knows and and what we were talking about James Fry J- James Fry uh, who must die factory well this guy has really uh, put a bee in Judy's bonnet He's really bothers me because he's running this fiction factory, exploiting young kids, and he's a writer. If he were just some scumbag businessman from the start, it really wouldn't bother me. But he's he's what he's everything that's wrong with publishing today. Agreed, <laughs> agreed. You know, when I uh, wrote my book, um, I have fun everywhere I go, which is a memoir. It was right on the heels of his whole thing with his memoir and him fabricating stuff and fabulizing stuff, and it was really bad. I said, "Man, you give me a bad name because I didn't make up anything in my book. In fact, I deleted shit out because." I didn't think people would believe it. <laughs> I didn't believe his book from the first time I read it. I just, you know, because I, I hung out with junkies a lot during one of my jobs, and it, it was just didn't ring true at all, I really? felt. Well, you know, and that brings us back to the whole concept of authenticity, because you could be writing about junkies, but somebody who's walked in that world 
has to be there to verify it and say, I know that really happened. Like I wrote those books about professional wrestling and people would say, oh, professional wrestling, it's all a work. It's all a sham. But people in the wrestling world, when they read those books, they say, yeah, that's the way it really but, is. But the truth is, I'm a fan and I've read all of those books. And you could tell from a million miles away whether it's real or it's not mm-hmm. real. And the Ric Flair book, um, I know you had some problems with Ric Flair. We should talk a little bit about more about the relationship between the author and the ghost. But that book reads great. That's an excellent book. Yeah, and I'm proud of the book. And, you know, you talk about the problems. I mean, at the time, I viewed that as probably the most important book on professional wrestling ever because you may mock this if you don't know about professional wrestling, but Ric Flair is considered by his peers the greatest who ever lived. He could work a 60-minute match night after night after night. and make, As he put it, I could make a broom look like a champion. And, um, you know, he... He took that very seriously. And so when I was given to him as a co-author, he was a little bit standoffish. It's like, wait a second, I don't even know this guy. I'm because you're re- an outsider? Yeah, well, called? I wasn't an outsider in the wrestling world, but he and I were not friends already. Okay. Whereas superstar Billy Graham and Freddie Blassie and the Iron Sheik and I, we were friends. I see. And so, you know, he was like, well, I'm going to reveal everything to this guy who I don't fully trust. I mean... You know, relationships in that business, which has long been a secretive business, can take decades to develop. Well, um, our friend Michael Malice, he re- he wrote uh, one of the Ultimate Fighting Champion books. I can't remember the guy's name. But he said some of his co-authors that he's worked with looked at him as an adversary instead of a teammate. And that makes it way harder to write a book, I, I mean, obviously. Well, that was another example. Like, Michael was assigned the the fighter right but like, they, be, they was, went on to become matchup. friends right but at first it was a matchup the publishers you know chose the ghostwriter right. to go blind date so exactly and uh yeah that can definitely cause problems i think if well, you're but then again the friend if you start off as friends that has potential right uh, you leave out too. you leave out things that other people don't know because you you know it's always good to have an outsider right. or like a friend relationship is different than a business relationship yeah. and Sometimes friendships turn businesses can get awkward. Well, I'm, I've actually been um, working on a celebrity memoir. I'm ghostwriting. Um, oh yeah, you didn't tell us who. Uh... And I'm not. And I'm not going. To, I'm not going to. This is a. In, this is a true ghostwriting, and that my name won't be on the cover. It won't be acknowledged. That's by mutual consent. Not even in the acknowledgments. Um, I, I believe my contract calls to be. Um, prominently acknowledged, which is fine by me. Um, I like the guy very much. And the nice thing was we'd been working on it for a long time before we actually sold the book. And we'd spent a lot of time like smoking dope and listening to Led Zeppelin together. And by the time we started writing, we'd been friends. And I really um, thought I'd caught his voice. Our editor uh, feels that way too. But like you said, the problem is, is that now that we're friends, am I going to let it go easy on him? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know if you necessarily have to go hard on people, but I think you have to press people to reveal That's things. Right. right. And everybody thinks they have a book inside of them. Yeah. And then when they're writing that book, they have to really tell the story. You know, I I co-authored a book with a a detective in Akron, Ohio, Perfect Beauty, about a murder case there. And when he said, hey, I'm going to write a book about this case, all his fellow detectives were like, yeah, go ahead, write the book. And he goes, I'm going to talk about all the fighting that uh, that went down within the police department. They were like, yeah, that's fine, tell it. But when that came out in print... Mm. And those people, when anyone could walk into a Barnes & Noble and read that book, 
people in the Akron Police Department began to distance themselves from it. Right. Because it was like, you you told the whole world our little secrets? Right. Yeah. It's hard to convince people to show the less flattering parts of themselves, too. And it's that's true. what people are interested in reading about. Totally. I mean, with interesting story with the Joan Rivers book, which, again, was a guide to plastic surgery. You know, a lot of service stuff. You know, what goes into a breast enlargement. Um, and I said the very first day, Joan, you we have to do a timeline, like chapter one, of every single surgery you have had. Over the course of 30 or 40 years. Wow. wow. Since your 16 year old nose job. I, I, I think they have this timeline. It's in the Museum of Natural History. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, I'm not going to do that. I don't remember them all. I just don't feel that's necessary. And I had to, I, I think we spent like maybe four months total on the book. And every day that we talked for those four months, I said, Are you thinking about that timeline? How are we feeling <laughs> yeah. about that? And finally, like literally, when the book was a day away from being sent to the publisher, I just said, uh, okay, no more fucking around. Give me every single surgery you've ever done and the approximate date. And we went through it, and she agreed to do it. But it was, I had to work on her for four months to get that most crucial information. How many were there? (laughs) At least two dozen. Wow. And she's a big proponent of plastic surgery. Oh, yeah. I mean, she wasn't hiding that she had had it. No, she she jokes about it. All the time. What is the most surprising plastic surgery she's had? The ones that I can't see. Unless, of course, you actually do make the shit it can get me a date with Joan. Uh, well, I get mean, me a third date with Jones. I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she she had many multiple surgeries on the same part. Like she had two nose jobs. She had her breasts uh, um, augmented when she was younger and wanted to be sexy. And then she had a breast reduction when she got older and wanted to wear fashion because <laughs> you need no boobs for right. to wear clothes, which is a problem for me and <laughs> and sexy Judy McGuire over there. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of sexy Judy McGuire, there's a story I've been wanting to tell since I walked in here. When I heard I was going to be on a show with Judy McGuire, I mean, my heart was pounding. But I was the Jewish boys go for the Catholic girls. Yeah, I I was thinking of Judy McGuire. Not that I'm disappointed, mind you. You are disappointed, and it's okay. I'm thinking of Judy McGuire, the former roller derby star, who was on the New York Chiefs, and I remember being about. 14 years old, 13 years old, being in Madison Square Garden during the, the, the year that the roller derby kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. The roller derby and the roller games combined. And for a year, it, there was an explosion, and about two years later, roller derby was dead. But Judy McGuire was skating around the track before the game, and I was screaming, Judy, Judy, Judy. And finally, she turned around and waved to me, and I fell over my seat. Judy McGuire knows I exist. So here I, here I am with Judy McGuire. I love that. The real Judy McGuire. The real Judy McGuire. I'll tell you what, why don't we take a break for a second? Uh, Jack, we got one more super hot song about ghost writers queued up, I think. Um, I'm Mike Edison with Judy McGuire, Val Franklin, Keith Elliott Greenberg, Suicide. Ghost Rider, motorcycle hero He's looking so cute Sneaking round and round and round in a blue jumpsuit Ghost Rider, motorcycle hero Beep, 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 he's a blazing away. 
And uh, I've been told that song's not actually called Ghost Rider, it's Ghost Rider. Uh, <laughs> close enough. I think so, too. That was suicide. Um, can you dig it? We're back on the Mike and Judy Show, broadcast live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's in Bushwick. We're here with Keith Elliott Greenberg, Val Frankel, and the co-hostess with the Moses, the woman who is too hot for television, too hot for Madison Square Garden, Judy McGuire. Uh, I wish I would. I, I'm, I feel so bad that I let Keith down. No, you never let me down. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you have. Have you ever considered going to the roller derby? No, I'm far too um, spastic. <laughs> I have no balance. We were talking before. We we're talking about ghostwriting today, and um, Val brought up Tom uh, Clancy or James Patterson. James Patterson, who might as well be the same fucking person. I mean, seriously. And it's qu- like sticks in Kansas being the same day, <laughs> <laughs> interchangeable with Ariel and Foreigner, depending on which day of the week it is and what town it is, I suppose. Um, but we're talking about authenticity. I mean, these guys did make it on their own names. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, on the sweat of their brow and the toil of their pen until they became a franchise and now they're farming it out. And I think I read some stat that like every 12th book that's bought in America was written by James Patterson. Wow. <laughs> some crazy stat? Or maybe that was Stephanie Meyer. Well, what, what about Mary Higgins Clark? Those books kept coming out. Or was it V.C. Andrews? Well, V.C. Andrews, she she I, I died, she, and they kept coming out. Yeah, I actually know the editor who was writing the flowers in the attic for years and years. <laughs> so dirty. <laughs> but, but what happens when you when you buy a book and it says Tom Clancy on it, and it's not, and Tom Clancy didn't write it? Um, is, is that fair? Is that well? You horrible? are. You, what well, are you buying into? I what? think for the consumer, he he is buying Tom Clancy books. He knows exactly what he's going to get. Yeah. He's going to get thriller. yeah some some spy. He's, he's buying the the Tom Clancy brand, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and James Patterson. You know, you know, you're going to have some females being tortured. You know, if that's your <laughs> if that's what you're into, you buy a James Patterson. Yeah, but what book. if but what if I take it home and maybe even I like it? I later find out that Keith Elliott Greenberg, you know, wrote the book. Well, um, that'd be a much better book. <laughs> <laughs> but a much more Jewish voice. I, I Actually, one of his ghostwriters uh, is named Andrew Gross. So I just have to assume he's a Jew, right? <laughs> he's totally comfortable with the situation. He he. I, I mean, I read this. I think it was in the New Yorker about the whole uh, cottage industry, the Patterson Empire. And the ghostwriter basically said, hey, I was doing my own books before I hooked up with him. They weren't being sold or they weren't, you know, no one was buying them. Now I'm selling millions of copies. I make a shitload of money. I'm cool with it. Well, I think you know, that's cool. I think people forget what working writers really do. And I mean, personally, I'll write pretty much anything if you can pay my fee. I mean, that's I, the way. I'm, I'm looking for work right now. If anyone listening <laughs> wants to offer me some, I am. I am. You could do a memoir about the roller derby. Yes. <laughs> there, there's a lot of tell. In fact, Judy McGuire was married to Mike Gannon, Gammon, and uh, the speedster, and then she left him for Charlie O'Connell, who was the star of the roller derby. You know, a little bit of Irish on Irish crime going on. Judy McGuire, <laughs> as told to Judy McGuire. Yeah, hey, I like it. That's good. So how do, how do you how do we get these gigs? How does this happen? I think that's what your lay people is people outside of publishing wonder. How does this e- even happen? Uh. Well, I'll field that one. Um, well, the first one for me was with Joan. Well, I did a sex toy guide with a woman who had a sex toy shop. I just met her, you know, in the ordinary course of events. Okay. You met the sex toy woman in the ordinary course of events, and you made a beautiful <laughs> book together. Her, her child is here. Oh, that's okay. You know Shannon. They're friends. Um, 
the you know, the celebrity thing was different. Uh, I auditioned for the job. You know, my th- there's a service that goes out to pretty much every agency in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ghostwriter or you know celebrity looking for ghostwriter. Send your material to this really? a, you know celebrity agent, and then if you pass that first tier, then um, you get an interview or you get to send more stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, just went, jumped through the hoops and eventually interviewed with Joan for a different book and didn't get that job. But I sent her a thank you note that had a picture of a dog on it. <laughs> and she loves dogs so much that she said, oh, let's get that, that nice Jewish girl back here to and talk about the plastic surgery. But sometimes that's all it takes is a picture of a dog. But do you have, do you have your own agent? <laughs> yeah, I have my own agent. I mean, I write novels right. under my own name right, and memoirs under my own name. And I believe you have a new one coming out? I sure do. It's called It's Hard Not to Hate You, and it's coming out in September. What's it about? It's about how... I pretended not to hate everybody for most of my life, and then I decided to just hate it, Will. That's good. That's positive. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is very positive. I find hatred very liberating. It's a, very, it's a breakthrough for me. So, yeah. You know I can hold a grudge. <laughs> uh, yeah, Judy, who have we 86 on the Mike and Judy show this week? Uh, ben, I can't remember his name. James Fry, never invited on Fuck here. Him. Fuck him. You know, I go back to that. You know, I was reading that story in, in New York Magazine about James Fry, you know, just sort of getting ready for the show, and... As the as the layers of the onion became unraveled, just to see what a scumbag organization they're running. Mm. Now I got to tell you, I have no problem with like running a fiction factory, you know, with a bunch of writers hacking it out. I mean, this is how I started in the business. To be honest with you, writing porn novels, right. give them royalties or um, give them huge advances. I got a flat something. fee, which at the time was four hundred dollars a book, which is what James Fry is paying now. He's paying yeah. two hundred fifty bucks right. plus promises, but you don't own the copyright, you don't own the rights. You're you can enjo- get sued. You're enjoined from this. Your liability is like insanity. Right. Um, he is really- a horror horrible person and we will never have him on the Mike and Judy show and I'm sure that's really hurting him after a week of Oprah. I'm sure he's heartbroken. Okay, while we're at it, what the fuck is wrong with Oprah that this guy needed an encore? A two-parter. Right. I think she had guilt. Guilt? I think she was trying to assuage her own guilt for destroying the guy's life, even though he sort of destroyed his own life by lying. But still... I'm a little put out by the whole thing, personally, as a working writer. Like him and uh, what's that other fellow? Stephen Fry, also right? also Fry, and these people who fabulize things, who lie about their careers, the fall from the New York Times. Well, even David Sedaris things. said that it's sort of true, you know. So I mean, sometimes you I'm have fi- exaggerations. I'm fine, like all wrestling fans and punk rockers are, with a little hyperbole, right. with stretching a point for a laugh, with condensing yeah. the chronology a little bit. But then there's, I went to jail for a day, or I did hard time for a year. Right. Okay. Right. And that yes. seems yes. out. Of, that seems out of bounds to yeah, me. Totally. And these guys that are making up these stories for the New York Times or have, you mm-hmm. know, or, or various British tabloids, well, just yeah. making up facts, and then their payday comes when they get the made-for-TV movie, the made-for-HBO special. To me, there should be no second acts. This is a job to me that um, you're on an honor system which should require some amount of integrity, yep. says the pornographer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, at the, but at the end of the day, I think we have a contract with our readers um, to have a certain amount uh, of honesty. What you see is what you get. you know. And of course, in wrestling, we all know, you know we're gonna, things are going to get a little blurry around the edges, but I, I think it's theft. I think it's right. a type of larceny. Well, I mean, having been in the women's magazine business for 20 years, I can say that not every quote from Jane S. about her sex life is completely true. But And her age is sometimes tweaked, too. Sometimes her age is tweaked, and sometimes, you know, she never even met that guy at the bar. But it doesn't matter, because the idea behind it, you know... and I don't think anybody's invested in Jane S. enough to feel right. betrayed. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Keith. 
Once I found out those fitness tips were lies, <laughs> it's all over. Well, there, there's your metaphor to Rush Song. It's all an illusion. I mean, it's, but it's an illusion, right, and it's illusion. not an illusion. See, that's the thing about wrestling that keeps it authentic. Right. I mean, everyone knows it's fake, and they acknowledge Well, it's I wouldn't fake. call it fake. Well, I would call you know it predetermined. That. Right. <laughs> but everyone's okay with that. It's like reality TV. It's, well, my grandparents you know. weren't. Oh, they were disappointed. They, they were, yeah, they were very disappointed. Oh, well, you know, my father was more disappointed when I worked for the wrestling magazines than I was working for either the dope magazine or the porn magazines. Wrestling is far more offensive. Actually, to that's <laughs> probably when my mother was proudest of me when I was writing for the wrestling magazine. <laughs> But um, there is a question of authenticity. Uh, again, um, and what's, what parameters can you take just to make, make this shit up? I mean, you know, I'm writing a celebrity memoir. Sometimes I make it up. I fill in the blanks with the benediction of, of the writer. It's not too far out. But Yeah, I wrote a book about for parents of children who are being bullied. I've never had children. I don't know children, really. Um, and the, the co-author just gave me a series of academic articles, and uh, it's mostly made up. And he never, he never even read the book, we think, and he went on 2020 <laughs> and talked about it. Well, oh, but that was your named. job, though. It was That my was job. your job, was to make him, it's like a guy on wrestling who loses in a televised match to make the other guy appear worthy of a title shot. Yep. That was your job. You were the, you were the jobber. Right. Well, you, you put it through the meat grinder. You know, I've had so many weird gigs and talking about ghostwriting. Um, I did... Uh, I wrote an introduction for a book. It was the same book for Paul Simon. It was a book about the history of Manny's music shop up in 48th Street, the guitar store. And Paul Simon uh, agreed to write the introduction for the book. Uh, He'd been a customer, and the old guy that ran Manny's, uh, this guy Henry, Manny was his father. And uh, Henry was the guy who took the business over, and he happened to be there right when the electric guitar fad took off, and the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, and he saw Jimi Hendrix as first Stratocaster, and the Beatles were in and out, and the doors, and if you recall Manny's, all the pictures on the wall. So there's all that. Including Simon and Garfunkel. Everybody. So, of course. And Paul Simon, his dad was a Tin Pan Alley guy, and he was always at the store. He said, ah, you gotta call Paul Simon. He loves me. Me. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Get in touch with Paul Simon. You know, he's, he's like my son. And so, okay, so we get in touch with Paul Simon through his office. And Paul says, sure, I'll do it. And I said, well, Henry said that, um, you know, you want to do this thing. He goes, oh, okay, well, what do you want from me, right? Um, he's not quite as enthusiastic as I was led to believe he might be. And I said, well, why have you been loyal to Manny's and to Henry for all these years? He goes, what the fuck are you talking about? The second I got famous and started getting free guitars was the day I stopped shopping there. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, we tweaked that. We made it work at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're out of time, Mike. Are we, we out of time? The fastest 30 minutes on the internet today? I can't believe it. Jack, how are we doing? Good. Jack's nodding. That's our engineer, Jack Kinsley, engineer of the Two stars. Minutes. Two, Two minutes. minutes. Two minutes. Okay, All so right. Keith, what do you have coming up next? Well, I, I'm actually working on another true crime book, but I can't discuss it because there may be some more developments in the case. More murders? Uh, no, not more murders. I'm not, not never really tipped off to that in advance, okay. but but uh, more more arrests. And Val, well, I I would say that I'm working on the friggin' sequel, but like I said before, that would be <laughs> wrong. Friggin' sequel. Oh, before that. we go, I wanted. Hey, Jack, can you just give me a little music, Jack. Anything, anything will do. Some bongos, maybe a little Bruce Springsteen. I want to do a little dramatic reading of Snooky's book because this stuff is good. <laughs> this stuff is good. Ah. He had an okay body, not fat at all, and naturally toned abs. She could pour or shot off tequila down his belly and slurp it out of his navel without getting splashed in the face. I think I actually got that from one of your porn novels. All right, you see? <laughs> this is good, spreading around. But here's, this is a great sentence. By anybody's standards, yum, Johnny Hulk tasted like fresh gorilla. Th- that's gold, Val. How do you come up with this stuff? I, you know, it just flows right through me. 
You know, like, 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 like. Well, like. The, the great thing is a Jersey girl. You're more authentic than than Snooky. She's not even it's from true. New Jersey. It's true. I don't. I doubt she ever. Judy and I have had many afternoons at the shore. Exactly. Once upon a time. Here's here's another another great um, bit of uh, literary, literary gold from uh, the Snookster. I love food. I love drinking. Boys dancing till my feet swell. I love my family, my friends, my job, and my boss. And I love my body, especially the badonk. Right. <laughs> yes, I think that we brought the word badonk to the masses. I think you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> All right, for the Mike and Judy Show, this is Mike Edison, my co-host, Judy McGuire, with Keith Elliott, Greenberg, Val Frankel. Thanks, thanks you to, guys. Thanks to everyone. Thank thanks, you. Jack, the engineer. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. The new Whole Foods Market in Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, is going to be generating their own clean power on site with a Pure Cell, that's a registered trademark, System Model 400 from UTC Power. I'm going to quote now from Tristam Coffin, the Green Mission Specialist for Whole Foods Markets, Northeast Region. In connection to our company's green mission, we are very proud to be reducing our carbon footprint while producing clean energy in our new Fairfield, Connecticut location. UTC Power has been a great local partner in implementing our fuel cell to help us reduce our environmental impact in the Fairfield community. By generating most of its power on site with the fuel cell, the Whole Foods Market in Fairfield will prevent the release of more than 847 metric tons of carbon dioxide annually, the equivalent of planting more than 85 acres of trees. The reductions in nitrogen oxide emissions compared to a conventional power plant are equal to the environmental benefit of removing more than 100 cars from the road. In addition to the reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, the Pure Cell system will allow Whole Foods Market to save nearly 3.5 million gallons of water annually. Unlike central generation and other fuel cell technologies, the pure cell system is designed to operate in water balance so there is no consumption or discharge of water during its operation. That's an awesome story. Kudos to Whole Foods. Don't you love that? This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. 
Nicole Taylor is always the first to talk with new and exciting personalities in the food world on her show, Hot Grease. Check out a little clip. Everything is super sweet in the Heritage Radio Network studios today. We're chatting with Fanny Gerson. Fanny is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and the 2011 James Beard Foundation Cookbook Award nominee. Oh, my God. <laughs> we fry in bed style. We have to talk dough. <laughs> Donuts. I'm gonna have to say, Fanny. I don't know if you know this. I was definitely the first person in Brooklyn to start talking about dough. <laughs> Did you know that? I, I knew that last time I saw you. Ah, but I didn't know that before. So we have to talk dough. I mean, it, it is it is a bona fide phenomenon in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of it, I, and I can't believe it. <laughs> you know. I mean, I was just telling you before the show that uh, I think about a month ago I went to dough on a Sunday at two o'clock, and all the donuts. You like were what gone. you hear? You can hear Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. live on Heritage Radio Network.